0: We are. We're going to be there too. We're going to start in the book of Acts in chapter 14, if you would turn there, and then we'll go over to Galatians chapter 1. I would put your ribbon in Galatians and uh, turn, to, turn to Acts chapter 14. So we are um, starting a new series today and for the next 12 weeks, studying the book of Galatians. And Galatians is, is, a, is a really in-depth doctrinal book about God's grace. And our theme throughout this series is going to be Jesus Plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that is the equation to live by. Amen? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Uh, the opposite of that would be that Jesus plus anything, right, Jesus plus anything else is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And, and there's, we'll see this, this um, contrast as we look at legalism and as we look at grace uh, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to challenge some of us in our views uh, which the Scriptures should do, right? Uh, and hopefully it'll encourage us in the freedom that we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get to work, okay? <clears throat> Father, you are a good God, and we are so thankful uh, to be yours, to be your children, your sons and daughters. We're thankful for the grace that you've given us, and the freedom that we have because of everything that Jesus has done. It is in Christ alone we have our hope. Father, today as we look to your Word, as, you, as we open your Scriptures, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive, that you would challenge us and change us, that you would shape us and conform us more and more into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so just as as an introduction, Galatians has been called by some to be the uh, Christian's declaration of independence. It's that thing that says, hey, we are free, and we aren't going to be strapped down to anything anymore. We are free, and we're going to live free and, uh, and Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in this, in this awesome letter, gives us a picture of some spiritual freedoms that we can enjoy as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is freedom there, that there's hope That there, there there's peace there. Uh, it's a freedom uh, which sets apart Christianity, by the way, from everything else. Certainly we're going to look at Judaism, right? The Jews of the day. And, and we're going to, there's a name, a term for these uh, folks we're going to talk about is Judaizers. They weren't just the Jewish sect, right? They were, they were Judaizers. They were, the, uh, the Jewish sect said, no, we're, we're not about Jesus. We crucified him. We don't want to do anything about this. And then, they, then you had Judaizers who, who were the Jews who believed, but they didn't quite believe fully. They added some other things to it. So they might talk like they're Christians. They might sound like they believe but their lives showed a tradition and a religion that set them apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this freedom that we have in Christ sets apart Christianity from everything in the world. I once heard a professor as I was going to school in one of my Bible classes, he said, you can spell every religion in the world with two letters, D-O, D-O, do. Every religion, Every tradition, you have to do something. You have to earn something. You have to, you have to accomplish something in order to earn God's favor, or to earn an achievement, or earn some kind of supernatural, mystical oneness with the universe, right? It's based on on you, on how good you are, that you did something. But Christianity and the freedom we have in Christ is different. It's the only world religion that says it's done. It's spelled D-O-N-E. Amen. Christianity, Christ did everything necessary on the cross. And he said, it is finished, it's done, it's been completed. And that's, and that's the struggle that is happening in, in, in this region of Galatia and these churches. That there are those who come in and say, is it all the way done? Are you sure? Maybe we should still add this into it. And just a good idea. And, and Paul and the apostles who, who had been there were not so happy about that idea. It's written to the churches in the region of Galatia, which is a region in central Turkey. And it's written to the churches which are in the southern part of Galatia. Uh, those churches include Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And in, in Acts 14, we're going to see a little bit of what happened uh, setting the stage for the book of Galatians. Now, I, I hope that you would go home on your own and read through Acts chapter 13 and 14, because those books set up the stage of, of those initial missionary journeys from Paul and Barnabas and others who went to, went to strengthen those churches and encourage them. You can see some of the background of what happened in Galatia, in that region. Okay, and then Galatians was a letter written later on saying, listen, we were there, we've been there, done that, and now I've got I to give you a little bit of a spiritual spanking today is what he ended up doing with this letter. So, so look, for, look at the uh, Acts chapter 13 and 14 for background. We are going to start and look in Acts chapter 14. We'll read verses 1 through 4, <clears throat> and then we're going to jump down to 21. I suppose I ought to turn there also if I have to read it. Acts 14, beginning in verse 1. Looking at 1 through 4. The same thing happened in Iconium. So the same thing. In, verse, in chapter 13, we saw this kind of standard operating procedures. They'd go into a town. People would believe. They'd, re- they'd receive this message. Some would not. There'd be division. Uh, in some places, they were persecuted and, and tortured and, and pushed out of the city and left for dead. Um, this is the opposition that came up. And In, in verse, four, verse 1 of 14, it says the same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. So there's this division happening, right? So they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord, who testified to the message of His grace by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. But the people of the city were divided some siding with the Jews and some siding with the apostles. Isn't that true? There's division with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the gospel goes forward, as we, we talk about grace, uh, grace alone, and Christ alone, by faith alone, people say, I don't know. We like kind of what we're doing. We like how we've set things up. We like our own ideals, our own standards. We're going to hold on to those things. And that creates division. I've talked to families this week uh, and, and uh, in relationships with friends and their family members who are experiencing division who are experiencing, like, ostracization, like, like, no, you believe in Jesus, we don't want anything to do with that, go away. And that happens, doesn't it? The gospel divides. It'll divide a husband and a wife, it'll divide a son from a husband, or from a father, a son from a mother, right, brothers and sisters, it will, it will divide friends, because Jesus is all we need. And when someone else wants to add something to that, they don't feel comfortable with Jesus alone, Christ alone. So it says the people were in the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and some with the apostles. And then they found themselves uh, all the way to Derby. And then in verse 21 <clears throat> through 23, it says after they had evangelized that town, that's Derby, uh, they, made, they made many disciples and returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the hearts of the disciples by encouraging them to continue in their faith. So <clears throat> they've been there, they receive, they believe, they were excited. And then you go away and you know there's persecution, you know there's division happening, you know people are struggling with this. So he came back and encouraged them to continue in the faith. And by telling them, get this, and by telling them, it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Hey, it's not all, all going to be roses and rainbows, when you trust Jesus, right? when you put your faith in Jesus, when you believe the gospel, it doesn't fix everything in this world, right? but there will be a day, and we talked about that last week, that we have a king who will reign one day, and all, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the grief, all the loss will be gone, but today that's not the promise. Today Christ is ready to free us from the sin and the bondage of sin in this world, to free us from a little K king unto himself who is the capital K king, Amen that he is the king. He wants to free us to him. It says then in verse 23, he says, so you're going to suffer. And then in verse 23, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So again, they they had elders there, teachers, shepherds, men, they entrusted things to, to teach and to shepherd. And then they prayed for the believers, those ones who, whether they believed or whether they believed, whatever the belief was, that God, we're entrusting them to you 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 will be what, he who is faithful to start a work and begin a work will be faithful to complete a work. He committed them, commended them, and then they headed on out to the next place. So that's the that's a little bit of the background. But we see there's there's some division happening, isn't there? And and, and this this sect of people uh, is called they're called the Judaizers. There are people who said, yeah, I, I Jesus, yeah, he was here. We and listen back then you had you had real close proximity to to Jesus, in close proximity to friends and family who saw Jesus and saw him crucified and saw that he rose from the dead. You, you had this interaction like, how can we kind of not see that Jesus is the Messiah? So they embraced him. These Jewish believers embraced the Messiah, or at least the thought of the Messiah, but they couldn't let go of the need that, that, that they had in this Old Testament thought that God would set them apart as a people of God by circumcision. Like not only, yeah, Jesus is great, he's dying on the cross, but if we're the people of God, we have to be circumcised. And, and that was tradition. They were holding on to tradition and religion and rules, and they were, they were teaching that to the Gentiles. Now listen, as you get away from Jerusalem, you get less and less Jewish believers and more and more just kind of an eclectic group of people. And you see more and more Gentiles. As you get more into the heart of Jerusalem, it's just Jewish as you go out, of, out from there, there's a wider variety of Gentile people. So the gospel message had been taught, had been received. They, the missionaries and church planters had gone, had come back, encouraged, supported. Here's the gospel again, remember, and we're establishing leaders here and elders here. This is important. This is important. You're going to face trouble. And they said, this is the gospel. And then they left, and there was still division happening. There still people who were able to say, but is that all? Come on now. You, know, you got Jesus, but you need, to, you need to add to it with works. You need to add to it with, add to your faith with, with this works righteousness. And that is what Paul was preaching against. It's a letter to these churches written by the Apostle Paul who had been there, gone, been back, and left. And he, he hears what's going on and he writes and says, what are you doing? Now remember Paul, now listen, Paul was originally Saul. This is really important background to us. Paul was the most like, strict of all these Jewish traditions. He, he was the strictest lawkeeper that there was, that we see. He followed it wholeheartedly, and it wasn't hypocritical the way he followed it. There were, Jesus had, had confronted Pharisees, didn't he? Jesus confronted those who followed it uh, hypocritically. He said, you, you say one thing and you do another. You look the part, but you, your hearts are far from me. You're like whitewashed tombs. If you were to look at Paul, he was certainly, he didn't understand the grace of God and the righteousness of God through faith. What he understood was a a righteousness of God that came by keeping the law. And he did it wholeheartedly. It didn't mean he was a friend of God. It meant that he was wholeheartedly believing this tradition. And he put all all into it. And he worked hard in it. And even though he was legalistic, he wasn't the hypocrite like the Pharisees. And and we know that even though he was trying to keep the law through Scripture, Not one can keep the entire law, so he couldn't do that. But he endeavored to be perfect. And we'll see that in his credentials later as we go into this book. And then in Acts 9, we see this conversion of Saul from a legalistic, works-based righteousness to the Christian, grace-based faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see God get a hold of him and say, What are you doing? You're persecuting me, and this is a form of works-righteousness, and you don't even know me. And he gets him face-to-face, kind of beats him up, has his way with him a little bit, and says, listen, you're going you're to be mine now. And this legalistic, strict Jewish man has a, has a heart transplant and a heart change. And God changes everything. A man who was so enthralled with and keeping Jewish legalism is now a grace-filled believer in Jesus Christ. So listen, as he preaches to all the churches in the Scripture, as he goes with the message of the Gospel, and as he writes these epistles, these letters, to the churches in those regions, and as it's timeless by God's Holy Spirit for you and I, we should understand that Paul has first-hand experience with both both a legalistic viewpoint and a grace viewpoint. Amen? That Paul has both first-hand experience with extreme legalism with a works righteousness system that he was putting everything in, and now he has first-hand experience of a grace-based faith. Righteousness. So as he writes, he, is, he certainly has probably more clout than any of us to understand what's going on in that region, to understand what's going on in the hearts of people who are embracing tradition or religion over grace. This contrast is extreme Jesus plus nothing equals everything on one hand. On the other hand, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And he knew that better than anybody. So he hears word that this church, these churches, are struggling. These Judaizers are throwing religion in the mix, and people are not, people are not believing in, in the Messiah as they should. They're not believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is a little irritated. Okay? Now, what, in Scripture, we look at the letters of, uh, of Paul. Who's the worst church? Like, what church was like this? This was bad. What was going on here? Come on, someone. Who, what's was that? Corinthians. We say Corinthians, right? It's like these Christians gone kind of debauched and wild, right? They're going crazy. And, and I would say this. If you really can look at this Scripture in Galatians and compare it with Corinthians or any other epistle, Galatians is the one letter from Paul that has no commendation, that has no, you know what, you're still doing good in these areas. Keep the faith, keep strong, you're doing awesome. At least the the book to Corinthians had that. There were some areas they they were going, going kind of off kilter and kind of like, what are you doing? But it was not doctrine related. See, Galatians is doctrine related. This is gospel related. The church in Corinth just was giving into their flesh and, and the lust of their eyes and heart. Right? That, that's what they were giving into. It was a lifestyle issue that Paul had to, to go deal with, not so much a doctrine issue like Galatia. And that's the difference we see here that Galatia was certainly in the middle of a crisis here. In the Galatian churches, the heart of the gospel was being undermined by false teachers. Grace was being trampled and the message of works righteousness was being offered. It was a system that would never lead to salvation. This works righteousness would never lead to salvation. So when Paul hears, he gets out his pen and he gets out his paper, he's like, oh, it is on. I am sending a letter right now. He gets his probably scribes as he writes this down. But, but he, he sends a letter, and, and that's what we're looking at today, his, his opening statements in verses 1 through 5 in the book of Galatians. What did Paul say? What, what did he do as he approached this church? What did he have to say to them? And we have to think too, how, how does this happen? How does this happen that we, we let a, a works righteousness-based system kind of get in to our, our mix and pollute or cloud cloud the way we think? It, here's how it happens. We begin filtering the message of the Bible. We filter the message of the Bible through our worldview and our ideas and our traditions, instead of allowing our worldview and our ideas and our traditions to be filtered by the Word of God. This is where it must start, and this is where it must end. This is our source. So if we don't know it, if we aren't familiar with it, if we can't take something that someone said and then test it against it, we are going to be bound for error. And we are responsible to not go there. We are responsible, each of us, to discern False teachers crept in. And false teachers and false messages will arise. You will hear false things. It's our responsibility to know the truth. Get in here. Get familiar with the Word of God. The central theme of the book of Galatians is Christ alone. And in the first half of this book, in this letter, we see Christ's ability to set us free from sin and unto salvation revealed. And the second part, we're going to see that Christ's ability to set us free unto sanctification. And this is a big word, and I almost changed it, but it's scriptural, and I want to use it. Sanctification is this process where we are empowered by God's Holy Spirit to live out genuine lives of righteousness by faithfulness to God. That he has made us righteous and clean because of Jesus and what he's done. That's the finished work. But he is not finished with us, is he? That we will continue to grow in sanctification and grow to be conformed more and more into the image of the Son Jesus Christ. So, we in Galatians back we're back in Galatians. Let's go there. Back to Galatians chapter one. That was the introduction. Let's read verses one through five. Granted, I set the stage right. He's been there. He's left. He came back, and they empowered and encouraged, prayed for, and they left. Now he gets word. Now Paul is like, oh, man. okay. This is his, his opening statement. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace and peace grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of, God, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now it sounds kind of nice. It's like, oh, grace and peace. This is great. He's, he's greeting us. Hello, how are you doing? But if you look at some of the other epistles, he's a lot nicer than this. He's like, I remember you always in my prayers. I'm joyful. You give me so much joy. I thank God for you. And and he goes on, like, in this this, hey, I'm so, I just, we're in harmony. It's so awesome. Yeah, you got some things going on. And here's some correction, but it's been great. He does not have that for them. And as Judaizers have come in, they have obviously, they know Paul was there. They know this this cohort of the apostles were there and this missionary journey, these church planners sharing the gospel. They know they, they were there. They listened. They saw. And now they're trying to discredit everything because you know there's a conversation happening and one of the believers says, wait a minute, Paul, Paul didn't tell us that we have to do that. Why, why do we have to? No, I don't, I don't get that. No, no, you, Paul's not, you can't believe Paul. Paul's just an afterthought, right? That's what They're, they're arguing through this. They're trying to discredit Paul. Who's, and, and Paul gets wind of this. He understands that they might be trying to discredit him. So he, he fires back. And as we look at this greeting, this greeting I'm going to call it grace and peace. That's our sermon title. That's the section today. And as we see grace and peace, I think there are three questions that that are going to be answered as we look at this grace and peace. So let's look at at the first question. You ready? Question number one. Who should I trust? Who should I trust? These questions are for them, but they're for us as well. Who should I trust? Paul writes, he says, Paul, an apostle, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Paul wants them to understand who he is. He's like, hey guys, remember me? Remember when I was with you and and, and the clout that I had with you, the authority I spoke with because of the power of the Holy Spirit? That God was convincing you of these truths, as I shared and as these brothers shared, that we were not only not only just someone who, who had a good idea, but we were those who had been with the Lord Jesus. We we're them who those who had seen Him after He'd risen from the dead. We we're those who are commissioned by the power of His Spirit to go and to share truth. That's who we are. By Paul, I'm an apostle. I'm not Joe, a car salesman. There's some authority there. I'm not, a, I'm not a Judaizer. I'm not a guy who, who yeah, he worked his way up and he, he, he has a religious structure and, and has some good ideas and some tradition he wants to hold on to. I am Paul, who was in there deeper than they were and has been freed from that. And I've shared that with you. I've shared my heart and my life with you. And granted, you and I have to know that the book of Acts in chapter 13 and 14 could not contain everything that was said and shared and done as Paul was there. They knew who this was. And he's saying, hello, it's me again, Paul. Let me let me help you out here. I'm an apostle. And then he goes on, he says, not from men or by man. No one just rose, raised my hand and said, Okay, you're in. Put the uniform on, get in there and go. Jesus did that to him. And the power of the Holy Spirit did that to him. And see, they were attacking the message by attacking the messenger, weren't they? That's how you do it. If, this message I, I preached to you, if someone wants to attack it, they can just attack me. And I go, oh, can I believe him? Well, there's a source that you can check. Okay, there's a source that you can check. Who should I trust? They're attacking this messenger. And, and in adding to Jesus, they were trying to gain control and power. That's what we like, isn't it? We like to have control over our own destiny and power. And maybe power and status over others who may not have arrived there yet. And, and the Judaizers were going in the same direction the Pharisees went. They just didn't see it clearly yet. Maybe some of them did. But Paul certainly had the credentials. He certainly had the qualifications. Keep your finger here. Uh, 1 Corinthians, two books before this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want us to see these credentials. I want us to see what, what, what Paul is made of, in essence. Answering this question, who should I trust? So we're in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Sounds good, right? He received the Lord Jesus. He understood and believed the gospel. And that message and that commission was from Jesus. It was given to Paul. And now he says, and I passed it on to you what I received. And here's, here's the message. You ready? That Christ died... For our sins, according to Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he has appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep. So there's people who are still alive who have seen Jesus. He goes on, that he has appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all as to one abnormally born or outside of time, born later, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, but uh, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, by God's grace, not by man's grace, by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. In verse 11, Therefore, whether it is I or they, his brothers he's talking about, so we preach to you, and so you have believed. The message of Paul is, listen, we, this message, you don't think I'm an apostle? I get it. I, I didn't walk with the 12. right? Judas, was, he, was, he was gone, and now we had a, a replacement there, and that's who God chose. Later on, some doubt that clout, but he's saying, listen, this is the same message. I, I've been, I've been uh, commended and commissioned by these as well, and we'll see his credentials in the next coming weeks as, uh, as we look at this passage more. But what, he, what Paul is saying at the very last verse, therefore, whether it is I or them, so whether it's us or them, me or, or them, whoever's sharing with you as far as the brothers, right, the brethren, the apostles, whether it's me or them, it doesn't matter. We, we proclaim the same gospel and you have believed. We are proclaiming. And this is the we we're talking about. Paul has the clout. Now, he didn't send this to Galatia. Galatia already knew this. He sent this to Cor- the church in Corinthia, uh, Corinth, so that you and I. Now, timelessly throughout all of time in the Bible, we have this for us to understand the impact and the grandeur of who Paul was. Because we didn't get a picture of everything he did and said and everything he was. But now we can look at the book of Corinthians and say, wow, Paul was there and Christ appeared to him and he was chosen. He was an apostle. And as he preached, whether it's him or it's them, he proclaims, they proclaim the gospel and that we have believed. It's we believe because they have shared don't you he's don't you remember us? Don't church, don't you remember I was there? Don't you remember what I shared what we shared? We are about the gospel. Now from there, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Chapter Acts chapter 13. Acts Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Acts chapter 13. See one other spot here. And there's, there's a lot more than just these two I'm going to share today. You can research this on your own. There's a lot more. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. In the local church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, uh, who was called Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, uh, Menean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, here, here's the important part. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit spoke to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Huh. So God called Barnabas and Saul. God gave authority to Paul and to Barnabas to go and share the gospel. And Then in verse 3, after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off with authority and the right to do the work of God and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had authority. Paul had authority. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. The Lord Jesus was the one who called Saul by the power of his Holy Spirit and through elders confirmed and commissioned him to preach the gospel as his apostle. Paul's authority was not man-given or man-made or self-given, But it was God-given, and he had the right and the authority to instruct his church. It was grounded in a divine call. So for you and I, as we see authority, we have to ask ourselves that question, who should I trust? My hope is that you would trust Paul as well, and you would trust through the power of the Holy Spirit what God has given us in the Word of God. I don't even want you to, to believe everything I tell you. I come here to share a word, a word from the, the sermon, the, the, uh, the word, right? A word from the word. As I share that, it's not mine, it's God's, but, but I'm a man, I'm fallible. And if you leave here believing only what I say and don't test it, you are in error. And you may be led into error. Now that is never going to be my goal. Every, every time I'm here, every time I teach, it is about Jesus giving his message to us. But you should be testing everything. Everything you hear. Don't just take my word for it. Discern and figure it out. 1 Thessalonians says this, don't despise prophecy. So someone comes and wants to teach or give you a thought about doctrine or scripture, don't despise those, but test all things and hold on to what is good. So you and I are tasked with the responsibility of discernment, knowing and understanding whether something is true or it is not true and holding on to what is good, what is true. Who are you trusting in? And maybe you're here today and it's great. You, you love church and you love uh, being with people. But you have not put your trust and faith in God's divinely inspired word. And you are trusting in what your friends at work say. You are trusting in what your parents are saying. You're trusting in what your kids are telling you from their school lessons. You're trusting in everything and doing a mix of whatever you want, but you aren't trusting in this. This is where we find power. And, and what Paul is saying is if you are adding anything to Jesus, it's nothing. Christ alone, Jesus plus nothing, is everything. It's about Christ alone. Don't try to mix and match and add something to the gospel because you might have heard it and liked it. Test test it against this. Test it. So grace and peace should answer the question, who can I trust? Next thing is grace and peace should answer, what message do I believe? Number two is what message do I believe? Now Paul starts out with a message right in there. He says, uh, Paul, an apostle, not, uh, he's from, from Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. He goes on, so there's power in this Godhead. and He goes on in verses 3 and 4, and he says, "...grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father." So he goes into this message of belief. When he says grace and peace, it's not like, hey, good to see you, happy happy that we're in fellowship. Grace and peace are a doctrinal statement. And he stamps it. Grace and peace. It's not something you want to grab onto on your own and, and maybe find some joy and find some satisfaction. It has to be grace because only true grace can give you what? True peace. It's only by the grace of God that we can be at peace with ourselves and at peace with God. Amen? And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, listen, you have some doctrine over here that is going to give you absolutely no peace because it's not about full grace. It's about a little bit of fuzzy grace, but it's not about full grace. You can write that down. That's fuzzy grace. The no-no. Fuzzy grace. What are you believing the legalistic, legalistic system of law offered no grace and no peace. So he drops that bomb on these false teachers. Why? Why is this so important? Where, where do we get this grace and this peace? Well, this grace comes from Jesus, right? That scripture says that he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. First Peter 2.24 says that he himself, that it's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on a tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by his wounds, it says. Jesus made himself a sin offering for us, completing everything that needed to be completed. He finished it on the cross you know, and today we don't, we don't have this sect really that's really important that says, hey, it's Jesus and circumcision because that's kind of old school and gone now, right? Certainly Jews will, will still stick to that and, and there's a religious uh, gathering around that but not really here. But I, I know churches or, or quote-unquote churches who would tell you and to, will teach this, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, you want Jesus? Great, come forward and we'll get Jesus and receive Jesus, but you ain't, you ain't done Until you dunk yourself. You have to get baptized and get Jesus to get Jesus. Uh, No. Wrong answer. See, that's adding something to the gospel, isn't it? It's adding a form of works. Do you think the thief on the cross next to Jesus had time to get dunked? He did not. And what did Jesus say about him? Today you will see me in paradise. Today you will see me in paradise. Why? Because his heart had been transformed. He humbled his heart in meekness and gone before Jesus, hungry and thirsty for righteousness that only Jesus Christ could give him. And he was filled as he hung there next to Jesus Christ. And that day he saw him in paradise. Now there are certainly things that you and I should do, and it talks about being righteous and living righteously. But that is is a response. That is to be a response to what Jesus has done for us because he's completed all the work, now we are free to live righteously. You don't have to in order to earn. You get to because you have received what he has given you. And as you and I get to, and as we live righteously, what we're doing is lifting up Jesus. And until Jesus is lifted up, right? And when Jesus is lifted up, what's he going to do? Draw all men to himself. We're about lifting up Jesus with our lives. That's why we live righteously. The message here is that Christ alone died on that cross for you. And he was a sin offering for you and for me. And that through his blood and through his resurrection, you and I can have life and have freedom. And it's through Christ alone and nothing else. And when we have Christ alone plus nothing else, what do we have? Everything. We have everything. We don't dare add something to everything. We can't do that. He is our everything. And this is the message that we are to believe. He was on a rescue mission, it says. He became a a sin offering for us to rescue us, and and he delivered us. When When this rescue happened, and it says he delivered us from this present evil age, man, it'd be nice if we were all done with that, huh? Well, we said earlier, there will be a day when we are. But when he rescued us, he, he took our heart and he, he made it obedient to Christ and his righteousness. He created us and made us instruments of righteousness instead of instruments of wrath. That we are no longer bound to the sin nature of this world. Satan doesn't have that kind of hold on us anymore. He doesn't have that kind of power over us anymore. See, Jesus, when he, through Christ alone, delivered us from one king and one kingdom. And he delivered us to the king of kings and his kingdom. Now, we still have to live here, don't we? But we are no longer of this world. We, we live in this world, but we are no longer of this world. And we have that opportunity. We have that right to live righteously in freedom for Christ. Where does this message of salvation come from? Well, the end of verse 4 It says, according to the will of our God and Father. It comes from the sovereign, loving, compassionate, and gracious will of God the Father. And it's His will to love us in that way. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. So I ask you again, what message do you believe when confronted with grace and peace? Finally, when confronted with grace and peace, what question should we get answered? Number three is this. Who gets the credit? Who gets the credit? That's, that's who, what should be answered next. Who gets the credit? Look at verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He should get the glory, right? He should get the credit for it. You know, I've said this, I've said this a lot, and I, I want you to continue to, to think through this. I said this the other day to somebody. I, I said, I feel like I preach the same exact thing every Sunday. The same exact thing. Why, why is that? Because Jesus plus anything else is nothing. So what do we preach every week? It's Jesus. It's the gospel. And it, it hits our hearts in different ways, and it comes from different angles through all of Scripture, but it's the same message every week. And I'm sorry if that feels old to you. Maybe it's just me right? But it's so vibrant. And I I look back on Jesus and I, I want you to think about your own story because God has been drawing you to himself. As others are lifting up the Son, Jesus Christ, God is drawing you to himself or God has drawn you to himself and you've believed and now you're lifting up the Son. But if you look back on your life, those of us who have truly believed in Jesus Christ, who have received him as Savior, none of us can honestly sit, sit here or stand there and say, look how good I am. Look how, look how great I turned out. Man, I, I, God gave me lemons and I made lemonade out of it. See, none of us are going to take that story, are we? None of us are going to share that with somebody else. Because in our life, we don't have any credit. When I look back on my life, when I look back on the people that were investing in me, when, when I look back on people who said something to me, when I look back on circumstances that have happened that God used to draw me into His presence and make make me aware of His power, when I look back on that time and that moment when He gave me the grace and the faith necessary to believe in Him, when I look back, I weep and say, Thank you, God, for what you have done. You see, when we talk about a Jesus or Christ alone gospel, it is the only gospel. It is the only good news we could ever embrace because Jesus has done it all and we who have failed so desperately and so miserably have not contributed to it at all. He has done it all. That's why he came. He came to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves or on our own. Amen? That's the gospel. And at the end of that, he says, to God be the glory, the credit, right, where it's due forever and ever. And he says, amen, in the end of this salutation, this, this opening salutation like a spiritual spanking to the churches in Galatia, he says, amen. He says, may what I just said to you, here's what amen means. I, he's, With all my heart, may it be so. With all my heart, may you understand the authority that God has given me to preach the gospel by his Holy Spirit. With all my heart, may it be that you understand the message of grace and peace, and without grace, you can't have peace, and it's only by Christ alone you can. With all my heart, maybe so that you give credit where credit is due, and stop taking credit for what you've done. Because the argument would have been to the Galatians, well, well, Paul, you got to see what I'm doing. You got to see how good I am. No, that's not an argument at all. You're setting yourself up for failure. The argument we should have when asked that question, who gets the credit, is not me. Please, not me. Please, not me. Maybe all you, God. So I want you to think. I want. I want as the Galatians should be thinking, as Paul opens up his statement of grace and peace to them. Who are you trusting? The Galatians were trusting the Judaizers and themselves. Eh, Wrong answer. We trust in the authority of Scripture. We trust in the authority of the power of God through the Holy Spirit and through men like Paul, the apostles, who were commissioned by Jesus Christ. That's who we trust in. Next one said, what message should we believe? Well, the Galatians were starting to believe into in Jesus, plus their religion, right? plus their works, plus their good deeds, making sure that they did enough. But the fallacy of that is you will never know when you've done enough. Wrong answer, right? The message is that Jesus Christ alone went to the cross and became a sin offering for you and for me. And he did all the work necessary that you and I could believe and receive salvation, his salvation from a loving, compassionate God. And he did all the work. Who should get the credit? Well, the Galatians say, well, I'm doing a good job. I'm I'm looking ship shape. Or these guys that are teaching me this, they should get credit. Nope, wrong answer. God should get the credit alone. Amen. To him alone be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. As we go through this series, I, I... I hope and pray that you will be filled with the awe and wonder of grace and the purest message of gospel, that Jesus plus nothing is really everything. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Father, you are a great and glorious God. God, it's so humbling as we look at a letter like the letter to the churches in Galatia. It's humbling to see that we, we may be off kilter a little too. We may trust in the wrong people or voices. We may, we may hear the wrong message and believe the wrong message of Jesus. We may add to it, God, and, oh, God, help us to not do that. God, help us to, to rid ourselves of anything added to Jesus and let us rest in the freedom we have in Christ alone. And, God, the glory should not be ours. God, help us glory in, in Jesus. Help us lift him up that people would see him and be drawn to him. May he get the credit because he alone is worthy. And we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. As we respond in worship right now, uh, let God do whatever he's doing. Sing it out, leaning. Oh, leaning on the everlasting arms. We're leaning on the grace of Jesus. We're trusting that that is what is gonna hold us up because he is all that can hold us up. I know there's hurt, I know there's sorrow, I know there's pain, I know there's despair. And, and this life it just keeps on piling it on, doesn't it? but God is still
1: faithful.
0: God is still the one who will carry us. God is, God is the one in whom we can trust. And Christ alone is where my hope is found. As we respond, respond with worship, respond with prayer. Maybe you would like someone to pray with you. I'd be happy to pray with you up front. I'll be standing right here. Maybe you just need to pray where you are or grab the person next to you and say, hey, would you pray with me? Whatever you need right now as we sing, let's respond to Jesus.
1: What a fellowship, what a joy divine Leaning on the everlasting arms What a blessedness, what a peace is mine Leaning on the everlasting arms Leaning, leaning Safe and secure from all alarms Leaning The everlasting
0: arms. Are you leaning on the everlasting arms? Man, lean in. It feels good. It feels good to rest in Jesus, plus nothing else. All right? God, thank you so much for your love, for your grace, that you are totally sufficient when we are totally and completely insufficient, that you alone are worthy of glory, that you alone would finish the work that we could never complete. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you today in Christ's name, amen. Have a great week, you guys.